How can marketing and communications play a role in transformation and culture change inside a very large organization. I'm Michael Krigsman, I'm an industry analyst, and I'm so thrilled to welcome Nick Zitzen, who is the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Communications at SAP. Now, before we begin, I need to say a heartfelt thank you to IPsoft. We are in their AI Experience Lab in New York City, and it's folks like IPsoft that keep CXO Talk going. So Nick, tell us about SAP. Uh, well, you ever think about how you use applications in your consumer life? How do you book travel? How do you do all that stuff? 50 years ago, five engineers in Germany basically asked that same question, but for business. How do businesses use applications to make the businesses run better? Well, fast forward, SAP is now the business software market leader in 190 countries with 400,000 customers. Great company. Okay, and you are the, you're responsible for communications and marketing. That's right. Tell us about what you do and the, the scope of that responsibility. Well, it's a fantastic team, first of all, right? Now, none of these things happen with any individual, so we've got a fantastic chief marketing officer, a great chief communications officer. And if you think about a company, like you said in the introduction, at scale, we have you know, 100,000 employees in almost every country on earth. We have 400,000 customers in almost every country on earth. So how do you keep a company together? How do you keep a company on message? How do you keep a company engaged about the topics that they care about? That's what our job is every day. And I gotta tell you, it's a unique way to see a company at scale. It's a unique way to see a company that's changing. When you put the message and the brand in front of the business, it's a really fascinating thing. So how do you knit together a company that has such a diversity of geographies and professional backgrounds and markets that you sell to? How do you create a cohesive whole? Do you know what the hardest part is? Um, I think it's something that people learn as they grow in their career that they have to be so rigidly prepared for everything. So people are always on script. And the more that people are on script, the harder it is for people to actually understand what a leader really wants a follower to understand. So our job is to break through that. We have tried everything we can think of, and we have many more ideas that we're going to put into practice, to break a big company, 50 years old, like SAP, out of some of its rhythms. Because if you think about a startup, what's the image you have in your mind of when a founder of a startup gets a small team together. You kind of think bean bags, don't you? Right? They're, they're sort of you know, relaxed and they're just talking straight. We have to create that same vibe in a big established company like SAP so that people really can see through some of the things that have been layered on over the years and focus on the business strategy. Why is that so hard to do for any large organization? Well, because expectations. Expectations. Everybody's expected to do this or to do that and they're concerned about who's watching. I wonder who's watching this and what I should be saying. You know, it's always that kind of an attitude. So it's hard for people to let loose. It's hard for people to trust their own instincts. It's hard for people to you know, really make an emotional connection with people as opposed to doing what they're advised to do by all the influences around them. So that's an ongoing battle. You never get over that. What are the steps that you take to try to break through that? I'll give you a great example. So when our leaders are engaging with our employees or our customers. You're naturally sort of thinking about what content do they want to deliver about SAP? What's the business pitch I want to give? 
we always believe in putting a human connection first. What's your career background? What did you do? I mean, I used to work in politics. You know, I worked on campaigns at the local and the state level. I went to Florida for the recount. Remember with the magnifying glasses looking at ballots? The more you can share with people personally what makes you tick and what about that personal motivation connects to what the business is trying to do, that's when progress gets made. That's when guards get dropped and people are more willing to engage with you on an emotional level. And like I said, this isn't something that's easy for people to do. So it's a constant exercise in pushing them to do that. What's the personal story that's going to make that connection? And if we can succeed in that area with more leaders and more audiences, we'll have better business results. So it's that personal connection that brings authenticity to the market. That's right. That's right. It's, people want to know who you are. Right? If you look at the way that the capital markets behave, they, they rate and trade and price leaders as much as they do business results. Do they have the confidence, Michael, that you're going to take CXO talk to another 10 million minutes of online viewed material? That's how they're going to invest in your stock. So if they don't know anything about you, what right do they have to believe that you're going to do that? So these are the, these are the lessons we try to teach and these are the things we try to relay. And you know what? Everybody notices when you do more of it. So there's a very strong element of engendering confidence and trust by exposing yourself. That's right. And if you think about it, you mentioned the cultural diversity. So it's always a calibration. So in Europe, as an example, where the majority of our employees are, we're headquartered in Germany, we have 20,000 people on our home campus in Waldorf, Germany. In the German culture, they don't like a lot of overt positivity. They want to know, what are you focused on that's a challenge for the business? Because that's what they want to focus on. That's how they want to move the company forward. So to go in with a lot of sensational talk about how we've never been greater, that doesn't actually resonate in Germany. So it's a question of meeting people where they are and helping them understand where you are. And that's kind of this constant tug of war that exists between communicators, marketers, and audiences. And the conventional wisdom, if you just keep pushing stuff at your audience, they're going to listen. That's so wrong. You have to gently pull them in the direction you want them to go. And if you succeed there, they'll open themselves up to all the points you want to make and more. This brings up uh, a, a complexity question because in your case, you have 94,000 employees. And obviously, there's this very, again, this very diverse set of cultural backgrounds. And so when you talk about corporate culture inside SAP, how do you weave all those pieces together? Well, the first thing is, there's not just one message one way. I mean, ask yourself, how many times have you heard something that was generic, intended for everyone, that really, really resonated with you personally? It doesn't happen all that often. When it does, it's like striking gold. It's great. But if you're an engineer working at SAP and you've been developing software at SAP for 30 years, you're going to look at topics fundamentally differently than, say, someone who comes into the marketing organization in their early 20s. So how can we, again, calibrate? What do we want the message to mean to you personally? How do we want to give you the power as an individual to connect with the message and to act on what we're saying? These are where you have to push the conversation further than it normally goes. It's putting up a nice fancy PowerPoint slide and saying, okay, everybody has the message, that doesn't cut it anymore. You have to help people connect to the message and then connect to the action that you hope the message inspires. And that's not an easy job and that's why people like me have jobs we have and it's a, it's a race without a finish line. What is, the, what is the intersection with culture 
here. You're describing the messaging, mm -hmm. and what does that have to do with the culture? Everything, everything. So we went through a messaging exercise around culture three or four years ago, and we basically went out to the employee population and we said, if you had to put down on paper, what are the qualities about the culture of SAP that you think speak to the kind of company we want to be, what would those be? And we had this exhaustive exercise. We had a, a really talented, young, high potential uh, who ran this for us. And the five behaviors that came back as a result of the employees driving the conversation, they speak to exactly what we want people to do in their job every day. Build bridges, not silos. Embrace diversity. These are the kinds of qualities that are the underbelly of a culture where if you're giving people the values that you believe the company should stand for, again, you're helping them understand every single day how do you connect to those values? How do you role model those values? So it's not a top-down exercise. It's not exclusively a bottom-up exercise. It is both because everything about what the culture you want has to radiate from the messaging you have. As you drill into uh, this dimension, these dimensions of culture change, you just alluded to measures and marks of success. And so how do you measure and what are the metrics that, that you think about? Well, it's, it's maybe the toughest thing. You said culture. I wonder how many people watching us today could sit back after we're done and say, what should I measure that I'm not currently measuring? I mean, it's a hard thing, right? The second you start to measure something, you actually have to stare the results in the face. Are, am I doing what I think I'm doing? You know, uh, is the outcome directly tied to what I invested in it? So in our case, you know, there's only one measure for us that really matters, which is ultimately the performance of the business, the way that customers adopt the software. In, in terms of the content we create as marketers, as an example, are we actually breaking down walls and reaching new audiences? I mean, it's one thing to measure the volume of activity around the content we create, but you have to go a level deeper. Who is it? Who's reading it? Is it just our 94,000 employees? Because if it is, I got news for you. The money we're investing isn't worth what we're creating. So you constantly have to, to set a goal. We want to reach new audiences. We want to reach this many people. We want to reach them in this specific industry, in these specific geographies. And at the end of the day, when the CEO and the executive management team of the business get you around the table, you know what they're looking at? How the business do. So at the end of the day, you can't take your eye off the number one measure and the measure that the management of the company is using. So how do you, how do you get granular where it counts? but how do you tie it to the big picture so that the same company metrics that the management team and the board use, the marketing and the communications team are also using. So that's the key to keep uh, marketing aligned with the, the core company strategy and objectives. Yeah. I mean, there's a, at SAP we have what's called a digital boardroom. So it's when the management team meets, they put up in a, a digital interface and they're able to interact in real time with how the, the business is performing. They can see customer adoption by geography. They can see renewal rates. They can see you know, how the sales organization is building pipeline across the different portfolios. They can see customer satisfaction and how long it's taking us for, to get back to customers who have questions. That's the data that moves the business. So in our role as marketers and communicators, if we're detached from those metrics, we're totally irrelevant. So it's how do you look at the same experience how do you engage with the same data points and how can you sit back? And again, if there's an issue in the business that the CEO cares about, that's keeping the CEO up at night, which incidentally Bill tells me all the time, there are issues that keep him up at night. What are those? 
and what are we doing in marketing and communications to address those topics aggressively so that when we sit down, we're not talking about some great thing over here that we're doing that's so cool that maybe someday will make a difference. We are right down the middle in the center of the conversation exactly where the CEO and the business are. Nick, you mentioned data. Mm -hmm. Where does the, what is the role of data and where does data fit into this picture that you've been describing? Everywhere. No, everywhere. I, I don't think anyone is ever done on the data conversation. Where are you getting it? How are you validating it? How are you sorting it and cleansing it? How are you getting people on the same page so that we can all look at one version of the truth? How do you then use data to directly fuel behavior? And how does that behavior directly fuel outcomes? This is, I mean, it's an hourly conversation, right? And this is, I mean, frankly, the exciting part about being in the technology industry right now, particularly in the enterprise technology industry, this is, you said, cultural transformation, digital transformation. This is changing everything about how a business runs. Everything. So, obviously, we have a strong point of view about how it can drive machine learning, as an example, in our applications. What can humans and machines together do to make a business run better that historically has relied only on human behavior? But as marketers and as communicators, data is data, it's gold, steel, whatever. I mean, you know, everybody's got a different thing about what it is. But we have got to be able to show for every dollar or euro we spend, how does that directly connect to the metrics we track? How do we use those metrics to directly fuel business behaviors that grow the company and ultimately make the customers more successful? If I can show that, and that digital boardroom experience that my management team uses, they're going to invest more in marketing and communications. If I can't, and I'm simply relaying it to you as a gut decision, you know, I feel good about what we did, Michael. I really do. I feel like it's making a difference. That's great. Have a nice day. But if I can prove it, then we've got, we've got a conversation. You know, we hear phrases like, data is the new oil. But what you're saying is that data is, that the useful data is the most practical data that tells us what's going on in our business today, about the things that we care about. It's just like anything else. I mean, you know, if you, if you care about a topic, the white noise surrounding that topic can distract you from what you really care about. Data is the same way. I mean, look, at business fundamentals are business fundamentals. You have customers. You have products or services, and you have people and culture. So are you using this newfound power, this oil, this steel, this oxygen? I mean, literally I've heard every single term you could think of to describe data. Are you actually using it to drive a, a great culture and empower people? Are you using it to build and sustain better products and services? And are you using it to delight customers and keep them? I mean, last I checked, any business school education is going to focus in some way on those things. Data is simply the latest and greatest tool in the toolbox to make those things more successful. Nick, on the subject of shiny objects, we are inundated with news, with technology, with marketing hype of every type. How do you ensure that your marketing team doesn't get sidetracked with these shiny objects and at the same time, how do you ensure that while not being sidetracked, that they're not ignoring it because then they'll be, they won't be part of important conversations? How do you help them strike that balance? Oh, it's a really tough, 
it's a really tough balance. Um, I mean, the natural uh, uh, scenario in tech is to want to get people excited. I mean, we're sitting in an AI showcase, you know, for a great company, and it's exciting. I mean, what, what these technologies can do, what can happen when you connect devices in the industry 4.0 scenario, what you can do with machine learning and AI. Blockchain is a territory that most people don't even understand, and the surface has only just been scratched. But I think the challenge is constantly to come back to that one thing. Do you have a satisfied customer who trusts the business? And if you do, giving them access to that content in a way that makes it easy for them to understand their opportunities is the key. Sending off big you know, fireworks displays and getting them excited without a clear path for them to move forward frustrates them. And it oftentimes will have the effect of sending them off in different directions to get the information that you weren't able to provide. So to me, it's a customer centricity question, almost as much if not more than it is a how do you balance hype versus reality. Who, who is your customer? What are they trying to do? What are their historical challenges? And how can you give them information about the new world, whatever the new world is, that takes into account and respects the scenario that, that you know about who they are? If you can do that as a marketer or as a communicator, then they're going to listen to what you have to say. They're going to push you and pull at the same time. It'll be a dialogue two ways, which is always healthy. And maybe, just maybe, there's a business outcome at the end of that tunnel where they'll move forward with the company and actually experiment with some of the new technology. That's what SAP, I think, tries to do. Uh, because if you don't have a long-term customer relationship, then you don't have success. If you think about how uh, enterprise technology has evolved, right? If you think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you had the chief information officer, which was the single dominant point of contact inside most businesses for how a business uses technology. And then what happened? CXOs, right? Many of whom have been on your show. Every CXO became a technology buyer. And the CXO technology buyer was interested in very specific business outcomes. If you're a chief human resources officer, you buy human capital management software because you want to inspire and retain and train your workforce. If you're a chief marketing or sales officer, you want to grow your business. You want to attract customers. You want to deliver new customer experiences. So the CIO, in many cases, because of uh, their long-term relationships, was stuck in one conversation, while the CXOs went into a different conversation. We want to push them together, because that's where they belong. The CIO is an incredible resource in companies to be able to tell you, here's a business problem and a technology that can help. And it, as technology is maturing so quickly with AI and all the other breakthroughs that we've discussed, you need the CIO to be a leader in these companies. But the CIO conversation and the CXO conversation have got to be the same conversation. What opportunity are we trying to seize? What problem are we trying to solve? It can't be technology for technology's sake, because if it's that, then a technology vendor like SAP is not relevant. What are we trying to do for the business? That's the question and the conversation that we need to be part of and that our peers want to be part of as well. How can a company like SAP humanize its message, and what does that even mean to humanize the message? There's several ways to look at it. Um, one way, which we do, is to say, okay, if you look through to the end outcome, what are those outcomes? So if you're a business executive and you're buying my software, what exactly has improved about your customer, your end customer's life, because of what you were able to do using the software you bought from me? We want to tell that story. Because if we're telling that story about the consumer who maybe was able to order the personalized product she wanted because you were using a more modern platform in your business to do it, 
it helps people in the masses to understand the idea of enterprise technology. Oh, really? I was able to customize this because you know I bought it from this company and they run SAP. That's great. So that's one way to humanize the brand, I think. But I think another way to humanize the brand is to do a lot of what we've been describing, which is to fundamentally change the engagement model for how a company like SAP engages with its customers. To be more honest and approachable, to be more transparent about vulnerabilities. I mean, our CEO, probably the most noted speech he's given in the last couple of years was a speech in which he admitted issues that were really agitating our customers. And people gave him enormous credit for that. He took a 90,000 at that time person company with at that time 300,000 and change customers and he brought it down to a one-on-one -on -one conversation where I know you have this problem, I know you're unhappy about it, and I'm personally committed to solving it. That's humanizing a technology brand. That's making it more accessible and more relatable for people who are used to thinking about it as this giant company that's totally unapproachable. So I think if you can do both of those things, one on sort of the way you communicate the story about what your business is ultimately accomplishing through the lens of what your customers are doing, but also break down the, break down the wall. I mean, this is, this is business. We're all just trying to work together to get things done. And the more you can have a human conversation in the day-to-day -day conduct of that business, you'll, re, you'll, you'll end up with a more humanized brand. Nick, there are people watching this who say, yeah, you know, this, this makes sense. It's really simple. But somehow we're having trouble doing it. We're having trouble connecting with the customer in this way. And what advice have you got for those people who are listening and they say, this is, this is a good idea. How do we do this? Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Do you remember that ad? I want to say it was United Airlines. Uh, it would have been 25, 30 years ago in this great ad where the CEO comes into a conference room and they had just had a bad result. I don't know, maybe they didn't have a good quarter and morale was low. And the CEO walks into this boardroom with his management team and he passes out airline tickets. And he says, it's time to get back with our customers and figure out what's going on. This isn't complicated. Every business knows who the customers are. If you don't, then I got news for you. You're probably not in, long, in business for long. Everybody knows who the customers are. Figure out some way Maybe if you're a marketer, spend your money less on some advertising or a sponsorship and actually set up an event that exists for the sole purpose of customers to come in and tell you what they don't like. My, that's painful. But rewarding. <laughs> okay, I think that's excellent advice. And unfortunately, we are out of time. What a fast and very interesting conversation this has been. We've been speaking with Nick Zitzen, who is the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Communications at SAP. Nick, thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Once again, I want to say thank you to IPsoft. We are in their AI Experience Lab in the heart of the Financial District of New York City. And we're very grateful to IPsoft for making this possible. Don't forget, tell your friends, tell your family to watch, and subscribe on YouTube. Thanks so much, everybody, and have a great day.